Welcome to the weekend edition of Second City Sports Zoom Style. Zoom Style. Along with my <laughs> co-host, co-host, founder, and creator of Second City Sports Radio Show and Podcast, Miss Lakina McGee. I am Sydney Brown. You can follow yours truly on Twitter and Instagram at SidKid80. Once again, at SidKid80. That's S-I-D-K-I-D-8-0. That's S-I-D-K-I-D-8-0. You can listen to uh, Second City Sports along with our other podcast programming from We Are Regal Radio, wherever you download your podcast, including that iHeartRadio. Download the iHeartRadio app. Just type in War on Anchor. You can access this program along with others as well. You follow me at Keenan McGee on the Twitter, at Keenan underscore McGee on the Instagram. And don't forget, you can also follow our show on YouTube, War on Anchor on YouTube. So subscribe. All right. Our top story for this hour is a social unrest wreaks its ugly head again in our Athletes are protesting and canceling, postponing games, I should say. We will, we will welcome in Chicago sports broadcaster and anchor and reporter. You enjoyed her work on NBC Sports Chicago for many years. We welcome in the lovely and talented and our favorite homegirl, Miss Layla Rahimi. You can follow her on social media at Layla Rahimi. Once again, at Layla Rahimi. Rahimi. Layla, welcome to the program. How are you today? Sid, I, I don't even know what to say after that intro. I am not just flattered, <laughs> but I appreciate being on for sure. Thanks, you guys. Oh, we're, we're, we're happy to have you with us, Layla. Thanks for doing this. Yes, and thank you, Kina. I really appreciate it. As of this broadcast, the NBA playoffs have been put on hold in the bubble in Orlando. The Major League Baseball has postponed 10 games over the last couple of days. The NHL Stanley Cup playoffs in Canada has been postponed the last couple of days as well. Back on Memorial Day, the murder of George Floyd sparked protests throughout the world, and our athletes joined in on that protest as well. Last Sunday, Kenosha, Wisconsin, Jacob Blake was brutally murdered with seven shots by the cops. This time, as I mentioned, the athletes have protested and stopped games as a, of this broadcast. Layla, I want to get your initial thoughts. What is what is what is your take on these uh, professional athletes, uh, in particular the NBA players who sparked this protest and trying to get people's attention to uh, call for action for racial justice? Well, I think this isn't anything new that we've seen. In fact, if I recall, right before the bubble happened, Kyrie Irving was making statements asking if, if we should even do this. And he wasn't the only one asking that question either. And we've heard a lot of athletes say that they feel isolated in the bubble. Unfortunately, that was kind of the idea. But when it comes to knowing that they can make a difference, and in the NBA, we've seen that they know they can. I think there's a lot of players who wanted to be outside of it right now and, and being there for their team. And, and respectfully, not just being there for their teammates, but also being there for the people who are hurting with them. We've seen such compassionate answers and I don't have to tell you guys, it's my privilege to listen. People are hurting. And if we can't listen to them, especially when they've worked so hard to have these platforms and to know how to use them responsibly and to give back, I think that we're doing a huge disservice. So to me, it comes down to the element of human compassion. Athletes talk all the time about giving back and we see it, whether it's in charity events, we see it when, when they're on the streets with people, we see it when they're listening to people or just simply trying to help their families who have helped them get to the point that they're at. And 
to me, it just speaks to the fact that what they're feeling is significant and, and they want to do more because they know they can do more. And I recommend everybody watch the report. I actually retweeted it a few days ago from Zora Stevenson, who I think does a great job in Milwaukee. She is the Bucks courtside reporter. And she talked about the decisions that they had made, which is really what started this. And rightfully so, since it was the Milwaukee team after Jacob Blake was shot seven times. So to me, that, that said a lot about the perspective, the feeling, the compassion, and I don't know. I, I don't know how else to say if, if people refuse to hear thousands of people who are in their living rooms with them day in and day out and provide a, a line of support for them. If you just want to watch a game that night and you want to get away from your life, keep in mind that they have lives too. If you don't want to hear them, I don't know what else to tell you. We're humans first. Our jobs are second. And to add what you just said, Layla, I mean, again, this was, you know, a video that, you know, that was circulating all over social media, him, this guy being shot seven times, now he's paralyzed, and now he's, you know, his dad said he's now handcuffed. I mean, unfortunately, look, the three of us, we're all minorities, you know, we know, unfortunately, what it's like to go through discrimination and be in all and everything else in between, and so, like you said, Layla, the athletes are humans first and we heard tom herman the texas football coach says look if you want respect and we, we we talked about this you know during this whole thing said if you want to respect these guys on the field you need to respect them off the field too because this is who they are and i think it's, it's unfortunate that you know there are still people who feel like well you know their lives don't matter you know they just shut up and dribble as they say and you know throw touchdowns or whatever and it's unfortunate but I'm glad that people are now listening. You're here about all these, all this that has transpired these last couple of days. If, if I would implore everybody to read the Baltimore Ravens Twitter account and that great linear statement, because it tells you about, yes, we're upset, but this is what we're going to do to kind of help, you know, you know, start the change, you know, doing things in their community, getting people in there in Baltimore and in the state of Maryland to register and, and on Maryland and everything else, you know, we're going to, go to Washington because they're, they're right, they're right, they're kind of right there in DC. So we're gonna, they're gonna try and perhaps maybe make change. And I think this, I think all teams are copying it. You hear what Cliff Kingsbury said in the conversations he, he had with his dad. You know, I, I implore people to read, uh, look up those comments as well. And a great uh, stand by Ryan Tannehill with the Titans. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it, it's good that people are listening, but I, I think that what's the end game here? We've been saying that voting, voting in your state and local levels, mm -hmm. that's where it all starts. So, and I'm glad that it seems like these teams are taking it a step further. Sid? I would agree with that. And even I've talked about maybe like a month ago, the idea of meaningful change on uh, one of our NBC Sports Chicago Facebook shows. And of course this guy in the comments says meaningful change question mark and it's it's just you know it's that level of of retort that we just you know what we're talking about i want to ask you layla about uh, another uh, pro football hall of famer his name is brian erlag of course former chicago barry he has some um opinions uh, about the situation and it didn't go over so well with many people you try to bring up uh, jacob blake's past and and, and uh, athletes in particular protesting against that. Why would you protest against a 
person who has a record um, bringing up his past. Uh, it, I, me personally, I kind of found it interesting, but I was shaking my head to say the least. What were your thoughts about Brian Urlacher's comments? Well, Brian Urlacher made sure to compare Brett Favre's father dying to the situation going on where athletes want to sit out. And those are two completely different things. So to me, that falls under the level of false equivalence. And what I found interesting was that Lance Briggs ends up, <laughs> ends up trending on Twitter in light of Brian Urlacher's comments and a lot of people talking about how much they appreciated Lance Briggs. I'm for that credit. I'm for somebody else getting credit when somebody makes a statement that people don't disagree with. But then again, I worked with Lance, so maybe that has something to do with it. But to me, again, it just goes back to the idea that these are two totally different things. Also, I don't know if everybody forgot 10th grade civics class, but last time I checked, that's not, that's not how procedure works. A judge and your peers, if you're in a state that sentences people to whatever the maximum extent of the law is, they decide. And then you have appeals. So I find this all fascinating that people have completely forgotten history and how this really works. But I don't know. I mean, to me, it's, it's just a level of sadness, right? And we see it pointed yeah. out more in, in different ways. Brett Favre voluntarily playing after his father passed away was Brett Favre's decision. And this also is a team decision that these teams and players are making. And also, he had, Erlika has a black son. So you would think he would know better and he would have these conversations with his son because unfortunately he's going to be... Or look, we've heard it from various people. Look, you know, all the you know white coaches and white athletes have said, "Look, I don't know what's I don't know what's like to be able to have you know be stopped or you know what have you because of the color of my skin. I'll never experience that." Even Ryan Tannehill, and you know, if you heard his statements with the Titans yesterday, he said, "Look, I have kids. I I don't have to have that conversation with them." And I I want to know what what Urlacher's his the the the, the, the South African American. I want to see how his son feels about. It. I know he's a I don't know how old he is, but I want to know how does he feel that his dad is saying these sort of tone deaf things. It's just it's just surprising and disappointing at the same time. Well, we saw that used in the uh, Republican National Convention as well when the speakers talked about essentially racially profiling her own child. And she was a white woman talking about her son who is a minority. So that doesn't tend to stop people, I think, speaking from their individual experience. Layla Rahimi, sports reporter and anchor, is joining us here on Second City Sports Zoom style, along with Lakina McGee, I am Cindy Brown. Well, Layla, let's start with the South Siders, the Chicago White Sox. They are 19 and 12, and they have a big three-game series at home against the Kansas City Royals this weekend before heading out on the road next week at Minnesota. They won nine of the last 10 games. Lucas Giolito pitches his first career no-hitter on Tuesday against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, what is your thoughts about the Sox destined for the playoffs, or they still have work to do? Oh, I think the Sox are trying to go for it because we got the news this morning that they traded for Jared Dyson, the center fielder for the Kansas City Royals, and I'm assuming that is to give Luis Robert, Aloy Jimenez, and Omar Mazzara some outfield help. Now, we saw Adam Engel make a great grab 
off of Giolito in that final out as far as his no-hitter was concerned. But I don't think any team, especially with how short the season is, trades for somebody unless there's a significant reason. Now, we have yet to see, at least at the time that this was taped, what the Sox are giving up in return. But I definitely think that they are thinking playoffs if they were able to get Jared Dyson from the Kansas City Royals. And thusly, Kansas City seems to be giving up what's left of their, I don't know, like second, the first generation players, the players maybe they acquired right right when they started doing this rebuild. So we know that Kansas City will be even less of a threat in the AL Central. (laughs) But when it comes to the White Sox, I think we're seeing them finally come together. I don't care what anybody says. You know, we used to say it had to do with whether, whether or not a player started a season fast or not. But I think we're seeing Mm -hmm. now, it's it's maybe not just weather, it's just getting into game shape, you know, knowing that you need to be ready at a certain time and your body just doesn't always get there when it comes to timing and trying to hit the baseball. they're, they're giving the pitchers the run support, and I think that was a big part of why you saw Giolito so comfortable was because when both aspects of the team are clicking the way they are, you don't have a pressure on the other side, whether it's pitching, defense, trying to support an offense that isn't performing as much or vice versa. And that's why I think Giolito partially partially had the mindset that he could throw what he needed to throw and take that risk maybe in order to get the job done. And I, and I, I love the, I like the fact that look, nothing's going to change because you know, they're going to be those that are going to say, well, it's a shortened season. So, you know, what Julio did, you know, shouldn't count. I mean, come on. I mean, the guy threw a no hitter was one walk away from having a perfect game. So I think people need to just give, and Julio has been consistently, you know, improving a lot the last couple of years so I think the guy should get his due come on now everybody it, it it's just it, it's just crazy what's you know, the, the shortened season and this is a sprint to the finish but look I think this is a great move for the Sox getting Dyson I mean you don't have to worry about Aloy you know diving into the stands empty stands I mean I I, 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 like, I mean like I I, I close my eyes every time I get like scared like okay please don't like you know mess up your face or break your wrist or something. I mean, I, I, it's just, I, I get very, like, nervous. Since it knows this later, I mean, I get very nervous when I see him on the field. In the so getting the experience outfield like Dyson, I think, can only help the Sox. And, and look, the, the, the AL Central's there for the taking. You know, the Twins and the Indians have been struggling. So the, the yeah. Twins are right there to take. And I never thought I would say that. I do laugh. I mean, I don't want to say pray for Aloy and left, but we all know it's an adventure <laughs> he's fielding. And he knows that. He has some... Naturally, he has some fun with it. I, I yeah. remember, you remember the game last year in Houston where uh, Giolito pitched arguably that time his best game of his career against that Astros team. And I forget what inning it was, but there's a fly to left field. There was no need, especially in that ballpark with the roof, for Aloy to have any trouble tracking that ball. But he took some crazy route. And then at the end, he slides on his knees and he catches it and then he throws his hands up like this like he's a gymnast (laughs) (laughs) because even he knows he's got to improve in the outfield (laughs) but I hope I hope when he does it doesn't take away a sense of humor but yeah I agree with you Lakina I think I, I did not think we'd be sitting here saying that at one point during this week the White Sox were going to be the team leading the American League in home runs I thought that was the Twins title but no, 
your White Sox came to play ball. They led the league in American home runs the day that Lucas Giolito threw the no-hitter. And I don't care what anybody says, I agree with you. If it's a nine-inning real game with real players, then it counts. There you go. <laughs> I want to ask you about uh, Luis Robert, Layla. Me personally, I think he's your front runner for AL Rookie of the Year. We've seen he had his struggles a little bit here and there, but that's what happens when you're a first-year player. How better can he can he get to? I know some people want to compare him to Mike Trout, and some others want to compare him to other uh, Hall of Famers. How better do you think can he get in center field for the White Sox? Well, Mike Trout is a heck of a comparison, right? That's that's mm-hmm. generational talent. I think I think Luis Robert does deserve Rookie of the Year because when you see the at bats he puts together, and frankly, how he does mm-hmm. play in center. I think he, you know, he's got the big body and the speed, and he really makes it work for him. He's a really, really good center fielder. And, you know, Ozzie Gian doesn't like comparing players, but Ozzy always said that Luis Robert reminded him of Andrew Jones. And he, mm-hmm. thinks, that, he thinks that Luis Robert's going to get physically even bigger because he's still so young. But the thing that impresses me the most, Sydney and Lakina, about Luis Robert isn't just what he's doing in the outfield. And he is – crucial to that White Sox defensive run saved metric in the outfield, but it's also how his pitch selection is so good, even though he's so young. We have seen him hit anything, but he knows when to hit it in the right counts. And yeah, there's going to be a little bit of a sophomore slump there, and he might be going through right now, even though it's his rookie season. We saw that with Aloy Jimenez too, but I think the sky is the limit for him, especially when it comes to the fact that he's got the uh, the just baseball IQ that everybody talks about that's so huge. But that pitch selection is only going to get better and better. And that swing is already so good. And I really like him working with Frank Minichino. I think there's something to that. How about the pitching, Layla? Because we know Giolito's good. You know, Dallas Keuchel has been a huge pickup for them. What about the back end? Um, you know, Dylan Cease has been doing very well. Gonzalez has been up and down. Do you think the White Sox have a pitching to go far in the playoffs? Well, that's that's the real worry, right? Because you think about who we thought they would have at the beginning of this season, especially at the time it started. Carlos Rodon was on that list, and I'd have taken Carlos Rodon as a number four or five starter on this team for sure, given that he was the ace at some point. And then you had Reynaldo Lopez, who we're trying to see what happens with him. So – I love that Cease is really pitching well. And Gio, uh, Gio Gonzalez, for his credit, I think you know what you're getting with him. You know you know that he can be wild at times, but he also is getting the job done. And I think there's something to be said for that as well. You can stretch it a little bit in this shortened season, you know, but if you're going to get the outings that you're getting from Keifel, Cease, and Giolito, you, you really can't complain about your, your top three starters. Dylan Cease's improvement to me is a big, big deal. And we should probably appreciate that a little bit more. Giolito and Keichel are getting all the publicity, but the fact that Cease is starting to really improve is a huge step in the right direction for him. I just, it's, it's a shame that Rodon and Lopez can't play right now, and I just really wanted to see them. Because then you're talking about, if everybody's healthy, that's not a bad place to be in, especially when you have Gio Gonzalez too. Let's switch over to the north side, Layla, and talk about the Chicago Cubs. They're hanging on for deal life in the NL Central in first place. They lost two out of three to the White Sox last weekend. They had their struggles early this week at Detroit against the Tigers. 
if you had a letter grade to give first year manager David Ross, what would it be and why? I think it's it's at least a B, right? Because he's gotten out of his own way, even though I don't know that David Ross is ever in his own way. But as far as the whole rookie perception and all of that, I think he's gotten out of the way of that for sure. And so many times recently in baseball, we've seen rookie managers, Gabe Kapler comes to mind, making crazy decisions. And you're not seeing any of that out of David Ross. You're not seeing these uh, wild decisions being made in game. It's almost, as, it's almost an afterthought. And that means that he's making the right decisions. So to me, I like what Ross is doing, especially when you consider the first month of the season and how the Cubs came out of the gate prepared. I think that's something that everybody seemed to agree on was that the Cubs level of preparation, whether it was from virus protocol, the at-bats, to managing the rotation, to even trying to figure out the bullpen, which is really an Achilles heel that I don't know has to do a lot with him specifically. I don't think it does hardly at all. But they came in so prepared that I think it's really, really helped them. But the Cubs have been a streaky offense, and we knew that, guys. We've known that for a long time. And I think that the NL Central underachieved a little bit the first month of the season. The Reds had a ton of acquisitions. We wanted to see how that went. The Brewers, we know what they were going to bring to the table. Not the same team we saw before, but still a team that should be reckoned with and respected. And then additionally, we knew the Cardinals were going to be better because guys were getting healthy. So at one point recently, the Cubs were the only team above 500 to begin the month. I think it was August 10th. The Cubs were the only team to begin, uh, or at least be in early August, above 500 in their respective division. Lakini, you're trying to say something. I'm sorry. This no. is the Zoom edition, and I didn't even see your pointing. My bad. No, 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 no. no, no, no. <laughs> I was agreeing with you. I was agreeing with you, actually. So keep going. No, yeah. Um, usually, you know how, like, if somebody points to you, I'm like, oh, I got to get out of the way. No, I no, no. When everybody talks, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, so, okay, so you agree. What are you thinking, too? Um, look, I think the, I think the Cubs are they're, – they're, they're still three games up. So, I think, look, I mean, luckily for them, the other teams are struggling. So, I think that's what really helped – that's really kind of keep the Cubs afloat. You know, they've had their struggles, but everybody else in the division has had their struggles too. So, I, I think look, – look, I mean, I don't think Theo is going to be able to make any big moves. You know, they basically you – know, the Ricketts family has already said that, look, we're, we're, we're tapped out. We're done. So – I don't know. Do you think they need like an extra bullpen arm or maybe try to shore up, you know, that starting rotation or maybe an extra bat if they can? Yeah. I mean, in ideal dream world where money isn't a problem, you absolutely get another left-handed reliever. Yes. But I don't know that they've got the the flexibility to make that happen. So I don't know. It's a curious situation for the Cubs to be in, but I feel like we were talking about them needing relievers last season too, even after Kimbrel. So I don't know. Layla Rahimi, sports anchor and reporter, joining us here on Second City Sports Zoom style, along with Lakina McGee. I am Sydney Brown. Layla, let's go back to basketball. The Chicago Bulls, they have new uh, management now with AK heading up their charge of Mark Eversley as the GM. They're on. Currently, they're searching for a new head coach. Uh, what do you think about these changes for the Bulls? If you're a Bulls fan, does this give you new hope? Or do you sit back with skepticism and say, Ugh, we've been down this road before, and I don't know if things are going to change this time. What are your thoughts? 
Oh man, I hope you're excited if you're a Bulls fan because they went outside of the organization, which is something they have not categorically done, not only to find their general manager, but now their head coach too. So I think everybody was waiting to see whether or not this was a sincere rebuild. And I think if Jim Boylan had stayed, you're looking at a lot of fans saying, this isn't really a rebuild, which is something that fans have complained about for a long time. And I don't even know if complain is the right word. I would just say observed, because how can you say something is an earnest switch in direction if there are still people from inside the organization there? And I know that Paxson is still there, but I think the role that he's taken on is different. So you can't really count that because they're, you're seeing in practice AK get that power to make the decisions he needs to make. I wonder if they held on to Boylan for too long, given that coaches are already being interviewed by people. But then again, the only real movement you saw was Tibbs going to the Knicks. So mm -hmm. they still have some time. It's a shame that Nate McMillan has already said he's taking a break because I wonder how he would fit in if he were the coach of that Chicago Bulls team, especially veteran coach. You know he's going to earn the respect of everybody in that locker room. And he also can grow young talents like Kobe White, Daniel Gafford, and then Wendell Carter Jr. too. But they get the fourth overall pick, which is super exciting, even though this draft, a lot of people are not bullish on, pun intended. But it's still... <laughs> I know, but everything is still a step in the right direction. It remains to be seen who the head coach is going to be for this team. But the one thing that seems to bear out is the consistency that you know they're going to do their due diligence. And that is a stark contrast from what we've seen as far as how the Bulls seem to anoint their head coach before the other one has been let go. You know, they talk about the head coach waiting in the wings idea. And that's been something we've heard for many, 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 many years. And it goes back practically 20 years, if you think about it, in the style that they tend to do things in. So this is totally different. We're going to see them have a real honest coaching search. And I think we're going to see that frame, how they move this team ahead and forward. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't know that we won't see, with that fourth overall pick, some major trades happening. Because I think that might be the only way AK gets the, the roster flexibility that he might want with this team. Well, because he said himself that this will be the highest that he's ever picked somebody yet. <laughs> so, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, I don't know, so I don't know how you feel, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if he trades back, maybe, you know, trade a you know, couple of pieces and maybe get a, more picks. I mean, what do you think, Sid? Uh, all options are on the table. If you, you're doing, doing this rebuild correctly and Socks, going referencing back to baseball for a minute, all the young talent that you're picking up, uh, they're not going to be here by the time you win. So, like I said before, all, all options are on the table, and the, I wouldn't be opposed to, to a, a trade if that's what he decides that he wants to do. Yeah, I think yeah. Uh, the biggest contract, you know, is Otto Porter. So I think that's mm -hmm. where you start and you ask, how is he fitting on in this team? Especially since Otto, for his entire career, has had injury issues. So that's going to make him harder to move if you want to move him. But then again, maybe you get a coach who works with him and works with what the, the players are who are existing in there and try to make that situation work as well. I hate the idea of trading Zach Levine. I hate it, especially now that there's going to be a new head coach. But that seems to be something that people keep throwing out there. Have you guys noticed that? 
Yeah, there was this thing with the Knicks, you know, for a couple of weeks back before Boylan got fired. Yeah. And oh yeah, were they were checking on him? Yeah, that was that was yeah. <laughs> that was the story. So I I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of back and forth. I mean, I could, but he's like the, really the one viable piece that you have, but you can build around. But then again, I can understand why. So. Him and Lurie, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if in a couple of years, neither of them are here. I don't want to think about that day. They both deserve better. I want to see how they <laughs> yeah. do with the new head coach. I really do. And we've talked a lot about Larry Markin all season, guys. And I think one of the biggest, one of the biggest pieces to all of this is I want to see him now that he's in a different offense and they're not pressuring him to get all these rebounds trying to make him more of a defensive four, thinking that that's going to help his shooting if he goes coast to coast in transition. So I want to see how that changes, but you know, they're keeping some of the assistants, but there are a lot of, there were a lot of, in my opinion, capable assistants on that staff with a lot of experience. So I don't know that getting rid of them would have been a good idea either. It seems like AK kept them for a reason. Let's head over to the gridiron. Layla, the Chicago Bears, less than two weeks away from starting the NFL season. Sounds strange to say, given that we didn't have any preseason games this year. But we all know that head coach Matt Nagy and GM Ryan Pace, uh, they are hanging on for dear life. And it goes back to quarterback Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, what is your outlook for the Chicago Bears in 2020? Do you see them making a serious push for the playoffs, even though you have a third wild card spot this year? Or does everybody just hand out of time with their bags packed? Yeah, that's a good question, right? So I think uh, Matt, they hired, what, like 18 coaches in addition to the ones they had? No, I'm just kidding. Yes. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. <laughs> Seriously, like we've got a passing game coordinator. We have an offensive coordinator. I Passing game coordinator sounds great when you're making 50 attempts a game. But come on, man. We need to see more out of the running game. And now there are concerns as far as A-Rob is concerned. So I – a, a quarterback's best insurance policy is a good running back, in my opinion. And when the best running back on the team is now dealing with an injury, that makes me even more nervous. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm nervous laughing right now thinking about this. So to me, I don't know if, if Trubisky lasts as long as we think he does. Everybody as far as all the pundits are concerned, veterans, people of that nature seem to be saying that Nick Foles probably ends this season as the starter. God willing, the NFL season ends. I want to, I want to keep that perspective here too. I did laugh though, because the preseason situation really kind of worked into the Bears' favor. Because if you'll remember last year, they, they did not start anybody during the preseason. They're like, no, it's the preseason. We'll be fine. Like, there's guys you've never heard of and Eddie Pinheiro to get some more reps. So to me, at least in this situation, it worked out retrospectively. But they wanted, if you'll remember, they wanted Trubisky to have reps this time during the preseason. They wanted that practice. Mm -hmm. So all of that says to me, it only, it only all points to Nick Foles again. It points to a veteran quarterback needing to do what he needs to do on the field. So I don't, I don't know how long the leash is there or how long the rope is when it comes to Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky, especially if, if the running back is injured for your team, because then to me that says, so now they're left with what? Two pass catching running backs, essentially. And mm -hmm. it, which, okay, we all know you're going to pass the ball. <laughs> so I, to me, until you get that situation figured out, 
I just don't think it works in Mitch's favor. I would love nothing more than to see Trubisky relax, right? Get to hand off the ball two times, at least out of a three down set. And then he only has to make one pass. And I think that would do a lot for him. I don't know if Matt Nagy would like it because that simplifies the offense to a level he doesn't probably want to talk about. But I would just love to see Trubisky get that simplified offense that he unfortunately has needed to, to, to grow into that role. But I don't know, man. When Nick Foles is there and you know what he can do with a team out of a backup role to lead the Eagles to win the Super Bowl against the Patriots, for goodness sake, and he did get paid for a reason in Jacksonville, I just don't know how you come away with this saying Mitch is still the quarterback even like five weeks in. Are you in that mindset where depending on who starts the Bears record wise will it be a big you know drop off because I've heard some people say that well if if Foles ends up starting it's going to be like nine or ten games and Mitch ends up starting the whole season is going to be like five six or seven wins so what do you think about that? Yeah, I think it goes back to kind of what we talked about with baseball, you know, where everybody said, um, if you have a bad week, then you're in a totally different position than you thought you were. And I would argue that the White Sox kind of proved people wrong in that respect, because they they didn't have the best week. They started one and four and then moved to two and five. So I think the same thing happens in football, especially in a season where you don't know how long it's really going to be. The question becomes... Again, like how, how much room for error do you have there? So do you pull Mitch after one bad game? Do you pull him after two bad games? Like they have a plan, you know, because if I always think if we're thinking about it, then they're thinking about it. So I, we're not going to get the answer until we see it happen in practice. But I, I just don't know how you're saying we don't have a lot of games. We might not have a lot of games potentially this season. Does it really mean something to us? And and are they looking to really make the playoffs this year? That's my other question. I think anytime you still have Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks, you'd better be trying to make the playoffs. But then it's like, okay, do you want to go for it all like early on? Or do you want to give Trubisky his due? And, you know, if you'll remember before all this started, guys, they were saying they wanted to give Mitch his chance and have ample time when the season started. So the question becomes, how much did all of this affect that plan, right? Yeah. Absolutely. I just, the running back situation concerns me. That's it. That's really it. I, I don't know if, if that's going to hurt Trubisky, in my opinion. Let's head over to the Bears' defense. There's been reports that Khalil Mack uh, is in the best shape of his life. He's, he's gearing up to have a big year. Of course, his play suffered last year due to, to the injury of Akeem Hicks. So what do you expect out of Mr. Mack for 2020, assuming that the he and the Bears' defensive unit stay healthy. Well, first of all, did you see pro, where Pro Football Focus ranked him as far as their top players? I I love Pro Football Focus, and I was sad when I saw their rankings. <laughs> yeah. they, they had him way too low. To me, Khalil Mack, if he's healthy, he's in the top 10 in the NFL. He's a top 10 NFL player. He's not just all pro. He's top 10. So... I'm looking forward to seeing Khalil Mack hopefully work through some of his respective injuries and get out there and do his thing. But yeah, Mack and Akeem Hicks together, if you like any defense at all, that is that is the best tandem to watch right now because they work so well in concert together. And also, guys, what about the fact that this is Chuck Pagano's second season as a defensive coordinator? I don't know about you guys, 
But to me, there were some times where we're saying, oh, Chuck Pagano's got this great defensive scheme. And I think he is a good DC, but Vic Fangio really had a good defensive scheme with this group. And, and I saw things like the Lions effectively moving the ball pretty easily down the field with a backup quarterback. We saw Teddy Bridgewater last season carve up the, the Bears defense. So to me, I want to see how the scheme fits all together as well before we figure out with the players that they have, because we all know that's an issue too, before we say this is a, an Akeem Hicks or a Khalil Mack issue. Be very interesting, no doubt, considering the NFC North as a whole, Layla, where do you think the Bears finish? I know you, I know you like making predictions, but. You know, I, the, I think the question comes down to the Vikings, yeah. right? Because if, if the Vikings, if mm-hmm. Vikings are any good, you're talking about potentially the Vikings going, what, 11 and 5? The, the other question is, do you think that the Packers mm-hmm. season last year was lucky, or do you think that it was legitimate? We all know what their plan was as far as the Bears were concerned. Make Mitch Trubisky play quarterback. We heard about that for the rest of the season. But – do you think that the Packers are a playoff team? And I don't know. I tend to think that there's some dissension going on as far as personnel in Green Bay. We're hearing Aaron Rodgers. Of course, they draft a quarterback early in the draft. So I don't know if uh, – I, I don't know that Green Bay necessarily walks into the playoffs like they did last season. So if they don't, Vegas has the, the Bears' wins and losses set at eight and a half, right? So they're at eight and a half mm-hmm. – seven and a half losses so Vegas is thinking they're a 500 team if they're nine and seven do they make the playoffs that's the question to me and in the NFC that's that's dicey that's going to take you down to the wire so a nine and seven Bears team probably doesn't make the playoffs even in this expanded format just my opinion so I'm thinking maybe they have to win 10 games in order to make the playoffs and Detroit's gotten better, too, by the way. Yeah. I think they had an excellent yeah. draft. Yeah, they I don't did. think you can just chalk up Detroit as two losses anymore for the opposing team. It's going to be tough. Layla, yeah. Heading down the whole stretch with Layla Rahimi right here on Sega City Sports Zoom Style, along with Lakina McGee. I am Sydney Brown. Layla, I want to ask you a quick question about college football. Oh, uh, breaking news right now, the Big Ten is thinking about uh, – resuming their seat, starting their season on Thanksgiving weekend. The other three power conferences uh, are scheduled to start their season later in the month of September. What are your thoughts about this? Uh, well, does this mean that the Nebraska family's got something they wanted? Is that, is that the idea? <laughs> right. Uh, I don't know. I have, to, I have to laugh a little bit at that. I was covering the University of Texas when Nebraska was opting out of the Big 12. So Mm. (laughs) a little bit of humor there. I I think really what this means is the Big 10 is trying to figure out a way to make it work, not just financially, but also thinking about next season. Because if you have two football seasons in a single year, there is so much groupthink on that, that that is just detrimental to players. And, And logistically, that would be so hard as well. So... I think they're trying to push up the start date because they're trying to figure out how to prevent 
or at least get as much time as possible in between this season and next season, because if next season starts on time, and I think you already concede spring football in this model, then you're looking at a very short amount of time in between the season and the following season. You're probably looking at a couple of months, and thats I don't think that's enough for anybody to recover. That's gonna be very tough. Um, so, I mean, do, do, do you think that do you think that they end up finishing the season these conferences? I mean, I see you see some of the smaller conferences who are trying to do what you know what the ACC, Big Twelve, and SEC are trying to do. Do you think they finish? I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine because if you look at the numbers for positive tests, when we've seen a lot of data reporting change as far as how it's being reported, if you look at the numbers for positive tests regarding viruses, the numbers for college isn't aren't good. You're seeing everybody crowd into stands together to watch high school football games in a lot of these states. You're seeing people get together. So you saw also North Carolina's Dean of Health and Sciences say, we need an off-ramp because it's too much of a risk. I don't trust a lot of adults to do the right thing right now. I sure don't trust college kids to. Yeah. So I just don't know if, if that, that piece of it is, is to me a science question and a behavior question. Does everybody behave right? You know, are you lucky? And it really comes down to luck sometimes in these situations as to whether or not you can finish it. You can buy yourself some time. You can, you can come up with plans and change the plans as you see fit because you have the technology, but it's anybody's guess. And frankly, when it comes to behavior, we've seen games get taken away for other reasons that are also legitimate that do not have to do with this virus right now. We're gonna end this interview later with a fun question, uh, fun question for you. I know that you're also a frequent guest of the Lawrence Home Show in 670 The Score in Chicago as the quote-unquote monthly visitor. I remember listening to one of those shows last year, and I know you're a big hip-hop fan. I'm an old-school hip-hop fan, and you can spit a little, little rhymes in here, too, a little <laughs> bit. I, I got a proposal for you if you're interested, a little fun proposal. You want to hear it? Yeah, let's get it straight. I cannot flow. I have to listen to somebody <laughs> else's lyric and then repeat it. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's a, it's okay. a little bit. Uh, don't shortchange yourself. Flow is an art form. I'm not that good. <laughs> well, we're gonna, we're gonna have, I'll, I'll make this proposal anyway. Next time you come on, come on our show, we'll we'll do a little friendly rap battle. You pick a couple of songs. I'll pick a couple of songs. I know you new school. I'm old school. Here's my proposal. Are you, are you down for it? I am down for it, but I would also yes. have to say, <laughs> should we do it the way that like Snoop and who did Snoop battle? It wasn't DMX. Snoop. Yes. Should we do it the way Snoop and DMX did it, where like you get to have bathroom breaks and like you just play a song <laughs> and everybody's like, oh, I didn't know he was gonna come out with that song. <laughs> that was my favorite part about it. Was like we all knew those songs. And yep. then everybody would just be like, oh, we broke out that song. And it's like, <laughs> we know the song. I can't wait for the Brandy Monica one. I mean, I, I mean, there, there have been like, you can, you can make those things however you want. So I'm staying out of the, uh, that realm, but yeah, I, oh yeah, that, that I, 
I pay for admission for that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I will definitely. I mean, I will, I will, I will fire up my DJ iPod over here and see what I can do. Or else, is it memorizing and then just spinning bars? Like, what is the challenge? Like, I got off on a tangent there, but what is the challenge? Well, well, we'll work it out. Be agree to do it. We'll work. We'll work it out. We'll have some fun with this. All. I, I we'll love this idea. I'm gonna get the baddest virtual background and like get my cup and. <laughs> Maybe I dance a little. Like I did, I did love seeing that too. Did you guys not like seeing like all the places where everybody was DJing from? Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Oh my God. it's so much you fun. Club in your house. Like yes. I knew it. Yes. It's it's <laughs> without leaving your house. You get to go to the club without leaving your house. You got virtual clubbing. I I love it. it yeah, D Nice started the best trend when it came to yes. all of that, in my opinion. Which one did you guys like the best? What was your favorite battle? Oh. Hmm. Ooh. Probably, like I said, I'll probably give it a little bit to D-Nice. That's just my opinion. Just like I said, because he started it all, so I'll have to go with D-Nice. D-Nice for the DMX new battle. I, I think it was a lot better than a lot of people thought, because people forget how many hits that DMX had. We just thought that maybe he's had a couple <laughs> of hits, but he actually has a lot of really solid ones. Yeah, DMX seems to have as many hits as he has kids. Yeah. Did you know oh, that? oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, all of a sudden, everybody's like, wait, how many kids does DMX have? Right? Where does this come from? Yeah, I was like, wait, huh? Oh, oh okay. <laughs> I'm not, I, I won't say anything. <laughs> yeah, I, I really, yeah, I loved him. But you know, the original DJ battle was Hot 97, like, years ago. It was Swiss yeah. Success Blaze. That, yeah. I want that rematch. Yeah. That's the one I really want to yes. see. But yeah, D-Nice is the originator. He deserves all the credit here. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Oh, T-Pain's was really good too. Oh yeah, well that was good. That, that was really good. Yeah. I think my favorite part about the T-Pain was he sounded exactly like he sounds all the time. Yes. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't like you know just his voice or anything like that. He he sounds exactly like he does when he when he's in his interview. So it's it's crazy. <laughs> Which I was not expecting because of the auto tune. And then I'm like, wait, was the auto tune created by T-Pain or was T-Pain created by the auto tune? <laughs> hmm. I could go. He was great about auto tune. <laughs> yeah, probably. We all yeah. could use some auto tune, that's for sure. Oh, of course. <laughs> uh, this is great. Right. I appreciate it. Hey, yeah. Right. That was Layla Rahimi, Chicago anchor and sports reporter. You can follow her on social media at Layla Rahimi. Once again, hey, Layla Rahimi. Layla, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. Uh, we enjoyed your work on NBC Sports Chicago uh, throughout the years. Uh, best of luck to you in the, in the future. We're definitely going to have you back on this program again down the line. And we'll, let's see if we can work on that friendly rap battle behind the scenes. So oh, hopefully we can get that uh, taken care of. <laughs> or at least my amateur DJ moment. I mean, that's all we're trying to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what about me. Let's around. get it. <laughs> uh, thanks, guys. This is a lot of fun. I'm glad we got to make it work. Yeah, absolutely. All thanks, right, Layla, Layla, take care. Be safe. Thanks. Thanks, guys. This was fun. Yes. All right. Take care. <laughs> Bye, Bye. That was fun, Lakina. Yes, this, this is what we do here on Second City Sports Zoom Style. We bring you the personalities that you respect and you want to hear from. And we have a little fun, too. Of course, a lot of fun. Not just say a little. We have a lot of fun. And we, if you don't like that there, something's wrong with you. Yeah. Yeah, I'll say, who doesn't like fun, right, Sid? I mean, come on. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to take a quick break. And, but we'll be right back. We'll have Sox Prem post-game host and – Former uh, Chicago Chicago Bulls pre and post game host Mark Shanowski join us in just a few minutes. So stay right there. This is Second City Sports Zoom style. Zoom style. <laughs> uh.
Okay. Welcome back to Second City Sports Zoom style. Zoom style. <laughs> Along with Lakina McGee, I am Sydney Brown. You can follow yours truly on Twitter at SidKid80. That's S I D K I D 80. That's S I D K I D 80. Where can people follow you, Lakina? You can follow me at Kina McGee on Twitter and at Kina underscore McGee on the Instagram. And joining us, th this second segment is Mark Shanowski, Supreme Pro Game host for White Sox Baseball on WGN Radio. And he's also a Chicago broadcast rural and Bulls expert. Mark, welcome to the program. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you two doing? We're, we're doing good. We're excited. Yeah, we're doing just fine. We're doing just fine. Uh, breaking news, the NBA has been in uh, a pro – their players in the bubble has been in protest in regards to the shooting uh, in, in Wisconsin from last weekend. The NBA playoffs will resume on Saturday. Mark, I want to get your thoughts of well, what are your impressions of the Milwaukee Bucks and the other players in the bubble uh, protesting and, and, and for – uh, injustice in and racial equality. What are your thoughts about that? what's been transpiring these last couple of days? Well, I think the NBA players have made a very strong statement. You know, originally when the bubble idea was talked about, one of the reasons why some players were a little bit hesitant about going down to Orlando was the fact that they wanted to make sure that social justice stayed in the forefront of discussion around this country. And I think the fact that the Milwaukee Bucks initiated the action not to play on Wednesday and then the other teams followed suit where all the games were canceled sends a strong message throughout the country that, you know, these athletes care a lot more than just about winning basketball games. They care about what's going on in their communities and around the country. And they made it very clear to the NBA owners, to Commissioner Adam Silver and to political leaders that they're not just going to sit back and be quiet. They want to make sure that there are practical things being done in the communities to try to help the quality of life. You, you look at what the Bucks did. You can see why, you can understand why they did, they did it because unfortunately it didn't happen in Kenosha, not too far from Milwaukee. Right. And then, you know, everything mm -hmm. sort of, you know, snowballed. Um, do you think the kind of the, the messaging here is it's coming across even, even more so now than it was just a couple of months ago when the George Floyd uh, killing happened? Yeah, I think, unfortunately, you know, this incident was so horrible. It just, again, brought all of those emotions back. And I think at this point, a number of athletes and with uh, a good platform said, we've had enough. And they decided to make a strong statement. All the professional sports leagues in one way or another have joined in with the NBA as led. And I think it's going to send a message to political leaders that it's time to take practical action. It's not just time for talking. Something has to be done to stop this senseless violence. Okay. We all know that, that the NBA is a progressive league, and they're usually the leaders in, in terms of change and for the whole league. What are your thoughts about uh, the other professional leagues, Major League Baseball and the um, MLS, are following? So, what were your thoughts about them and joining the NBA players uh, on this pause? Yeah, I think all the sports leagues saw what the NBA was doing and decided that it was time to make a strong statement. Uh, that this is the time now to take action. And I think that we've seen that with Major League Baseball. We've seen it with the National Hockey League. We've seen it with Major League Soccer. We've seen it with the WNBA. This is a universal statement by athletes that we want our voices to be heard. Now, now what, let's talk about, you know, some of the, what the MLB did. We saw with the Marlins and the Mets, you know, with their sort of kind of like walking out 
if if you will. And then you saw what J- Jason Hayward and Mookie Betts and with all the other black players did. Do you, and do you, as far as the Cubs are concerned, do you think that maybe some people are saying that more should have been done? Should the team had done more to sort of like in solidarity with Hayward and, you know, and all that? Well, unfortunately, that particular day, the Cubs were like the first game that was scheduled to be played. And Jason Hayward decided very shortly before game time that he was not going to participate. So the Cubs put out a new lineup and they had a team meeting and Jason Hayward basically told his teammates, I I appreciate all your support. I'm going to sit out, but I encourage you all to play. So, uh, you know, Jed Hoyer, the Cubs general manager mentioned that had they had more time to sit down and really talk it through, they may have decided not to play that game. And as the day progressed, more games were canceled. But I think the, the Cubs were one of the first games out of the shoot that night, and I think they just didn't have enough time to decide exactly what they wanted to do. Uh, Jason Hayward is one of the most popular players in that Cubs clubhouse, and I know that he had the full support of his teammates. It was just a question of the logistics of that particular situation. It really wasn't a question of the, uh, the players not supporting Jason and his decision. Um, speaking of baseball, the Chicago Lions was the team on the radio, Mark. Uh, th- their last game was Wednesday afternoon against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Of course, they had the day off on Thursday. Uh, as of right now, they're scheduled to play the Kansas City Royals on the south side for a three-game series. Do you expect them to protest? Have you heard anything what the White Sox may or may not do? There's been no indication that there are going to be any postponements around Major League Baseball. As you know, today is celebration of Jackie Robinson Day, which was originally done mm-hmm on April 15th every year, celebrating him breaking the color barrier back in 1947. This is such a special day around baseball, especially to all the African-American players. I don't think we're going to see games being canceled in protest. I think the full schedule will be played tonight. I don't know that for sure, but as of this moment, uh, there's been no indication that there's going to be uh, cancellations of any games tonight. Okay. Okay. Well, let's talk about stuff going on off the field. I mean, the White Sox are one of, if not the hottest team in Major League Baseball. They're right there in the AL Central. It's right there for the taking. Mm-hmm. That pitching, the back end of that rotation, though, Mark, still kind of worries me. Does it worry <laughs> you? Yeah, a little bit. And Monday is the trading deadline. So if they're going to make a move to try to solidify that, they're going to have to go out in the marketplace and decide if they want to trade some of their prospects in the strangest of all seasons to try to make a run at a championship. You know, the playoff field has been expanded to 16 teams, which means basically anybody could win it. You know, it's not like a lot of years where you kind of know who's likely to make it to the World Series. This year, basically any team could win it. And I know Rick Hahn is a guy that's very aggressive as a general manager. It would not surprise me in the least if they go out and try to add another starting pitcher. They made a minor move today getting Gerard Dyson from the Pirates. He's a guy who can do some pinch running. And you know that kind of move is made with the playoffs in mind. When you get a guy with that kind of speed, you're thinking maybe he can steal a base in the seventh or eighth inning of a playoff game and help us advance. So they're definitely thinking playoffs, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if Urkan decides to go out and get another starting pitcher on Monday. And sticking with that starting pitching, Mark, Lucas Giolito earlier this week had his first career no-hitter in the 4 nothing victory over the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, talk to us about his performance. Uh, were you uh, obviously you were impressed about by his performance because of the no hitter? But what changes have you seen from early last year to this year? Look, he looks like he wants to be one of the best pitchers in baseball. 
Yeah, the bizarre thing about Giolito is that two years ago in 2018, he had the highest earned run average of any qualified starting pitcher in all of baseball, not just the American League. We're talking about the entire majors. So he was a guy who was kind of struggling, kind of floundering, trying to find his way. He's one of these players who's very analytical. He really thinks things through, kind of beats himself up when he has a bad performance and tries to pour over tape and find any kind of issues that he can try to improve on. Last year, he had a very good season, got off to a great start. He made the all-star team in midseason to put up some really impressive numbers. And this year, he came back just wanting to improve on that. He never lost his confidence. He said after the no-hitter on Tuesday that he always thought that he had the ability to pitch a no-hitter in the major leagues. And, you know, he was so dominant in that game against the Pirates. The hardest hit ball was the last one of the game that was lined out to Adam yeah. Engel in right field. I mean, everybody had to hold their breath because off the bat, it looked like it was going to be a hit. But, but Giolito is just a great success story. He's the ace of that staff, and he's a, a team leader even at a young age. So I'm very impressed with what he's done to make himself into an all-star pitcher. And right now, he is the uh, number one guy on that staff. Let's talk about the hitting for a second. I mean, Jose Abreu, I think, I think he just hit another home run, I, I think. I, I think <laughs> just now. Um, Tim, Tim Anderson, uh, Luis Rivera, I mean – just an amazing, you know, hit streak and, you know, one of the hottest bats in the major leagues. Keith, do you think they can keep this up? Yeah, I think they can. You know, this reminds me a lot of what the Cubs did back in 2015, where they had a bunch of young players came up at the same time, and they all kind of rode the momentum of what the other guys were doing. Remember, they, they brought up guys at midseason. Chris Bryant came up after the first 10 days or so. And then you had Wilson Contreras and Addison Russell and Javi Baez and all these young guys got hot together, and it was something to watch. And the White Sox are pretty much the same thing. They've got all these young players that are developing at the same time, and I think that they're kind of thriving off the success of one another. Uh, it's a team that leads the American League in home runs. Sometimes those home run numbers drop a little bit in the postseason when you only face the, the top starters on the other staff. But I don't see any reason why they can't continue to hit on into October. Let, uh, on the on the other side for the other young stars the, for the White Sox, Luis Robert uh, in, in center field. He's having a great rookie season. He's my personal pick for AL Rookie of the Year. He's been compared to a, a Mike Trout and some other um, Hall of Famers. How better can Luis Robert uh, be? Do you see a future All Star or maybe an MVP or two down the road for Mr. Robert? Or are we are we jumping on the are we giving him too much credit too soon? <laughs> no, I think that he's, uh, he's got all the tools. You know, they talk about a five-tool player in baseball, and that's definitely what Luis Robert is. When you watch him play the outfield, he's one of the best defensive uh, center fielders in all of baseball already at the age of 23. He can cover so much ground out there in center field. He can make spectacular plays as a strong throwing arm. We've seen his power, which is really off the charts. I mean, he can drive the ball as far as anybody in baseball. I think as he gets more selective at the plate right now, he, I think he's number one in baseball in terms of swing rate. You know, he swings at just about everything. And that's, that's a lot like Javi Baez was when he came up with the Cubs. He would swing at everything, which leads to a lot of strikeouts. Once he gets a better idea of the strike zone at the major league level, maybe takes a few walks and makes pitchers come to him a little bit, I think he'll be even more dangerous. But uh, the sky's the limit for Robert. What about Aloy? I, I don't know about you, Mark, but I, I've, I've told Sidis we had Aloy the Rahimi on just a, a while ago. I always freak out every time he's on the field because 
we we know he can hit. We know <laughs> we know he can drive in big runs. But every time I see him on the field, I think he always like dives to the stands and someone. I, I don't want to get to a point where he might like break his face or break his wrist or something. Do you, do you kind of forget every time you you, you see a lawyer on the field? And should he be a DH? So I think that's what my my main question. <laughs> Well, I think their hope is because he's so young that, that you'd rather save that DH spot for somebody else and have him continue to play in left field. But I know that Rick Renteria kind of holds his breath every time there's a ball hit out there. I mean, he's landed in the net a couple of times that borders along the stands. He's crashed into the wall. You know, he, he is an adventure every time the ball's hit out the left field. But he's such a powerful offensive force. You know as bad as going to be in the lineup. But they're in a situation right now where they signed Edwin Encarnacion at an advanced age just to be the everyday DH. So he's going to hold that spot for now. Don't know how long he'll be with the White Sox. So there could be a point at some point in the future where they look at his, the defense that Jimenez plays and maybe they decide to make him a full-time DH. But for now, I think we're going to have to live with uh, the adventure that he is on left field. Mark Shanowski, pre- and post-game host for WGN Radio for the White Sox coverage. Join us here on Second City Sports Zoom style. Mark, I want to ask you about Dylan C's going back to that pitching rotation for the White Sox. I've noticed from, from last year to this year, last year when he came up, he was trying to strike everyone out. It, it was tough for him because he got through five and a half innings over 100 pitches. This year, it look, he looks to uh, just to get the out and put the ball in play. Have you noticed that same difference? He's been much more under control. You know, the walk rate is the big thing with Dylan C. Sometimes his pitch count will really jump up early in the game because – He's trying, as you mentioned, to, to strike out everybody, and the pitch count will really jump, and he can only make it through four or five innings. He's been better about getting some strikes uh, and, and some outs early in the count, which is only going to help him get deeper into games. You know, right now with Carlos Rodon still on the injured list and Reynaldo Lopez just coming back, they need Cease to be a strong number three. I mean, if the playoffs started now, he would be your number three starter. So it's important that, you know, he's careful about his pitch count, throws a lot of strikes, and can get the White Sox deeper into games. How big of a pickup was Dallas Keuchel? Oh, huge, huge. I mean, here's a guy that was a World Series champion with the Astros. He's always been a guy that ranks among the league leaders in ground ball rate, which means he's not going to have to get those high pitch counts. He can usually get you through six or seven innings, gets a lot of ground ball outs, gets a lot of double plays. He's been very efficient. Every start he's pitched this year, he's been good. He's pitched, he's turning quality starts every time. So to get a veteran like that to back up Giolito, any playoff series that you start, if you can begin a series, especially that first one, best of three, with Giolito and Keiko, you're going to feel pretty good about your chances. Oh, well, I'll, I'll yes, we're... Oh, thank you for having us. The White Sox are 19 and 12. Um, all, but they have a big series. We will know for sure uh, if, if the White Sox are for real in terms of making the playoffs for this season. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. think we already can pencil them in. You know, when you look at the other okay. teams that are competing for that wild card spot, there'll be two wild card spots after the top six in the American League. They have a huge lead in that category. Unless they had a rash of injuries or just a prolonged slump, I think the White Sox will definitely be in the playoffs. Right now, they're thinking how high of a seeding can they get? You know, they're only a half game behind the Twins, uh, tied with Cleveland for second place. It's a situation where if they can get the division and a better seed, maybe you get a more favorable first-round matchup. But you know, in the best of three series in the first round, I think you can kind of throw out the seedings. It's going to be kind of who gets the good pitching in that best of three series. Those are the teams that are going to advance. But really, even though we're talking about late August, mentally, I've already got the White Sox in the postseason.
going to be a kind of like that that first round is going to be kind of like a free for all i think we can all we yeah. can all agree on on that um i'm going to go to the hardware for a second mark i mean you, you covered the bulls for many years we know that Arturo Konichev is also Mark Eversley are now, so the guys at the top for the Bulls. What route coaching-wise do you think they'll, they go, and do you think that guys like Zach Levine and Laurie Markkinen will be sort of like the, the building pieces long-term? Yeah, I mean, I think right now all options are on the table. Whenever you have a new front office come in, they have a different way of looking at things. Uh, Arturo Konichev came from Denver, where he was the second-in-command in their front office. Mark Eversley was the general manager with the Philadelphia 76ers. So they're going to take the experiences they had with those organizations and bring them to Chicago. I think that they've poured over the tape of all the games for the last couple of years, and they already have an early indication of what they think in terms of evaluating the roster. Um, I don't know that they're going to make major changes this offseason. We don't know when the 2020-21 season is going to begin. So, you know, that could be January or February before they start the next season. So they're going to have plenty of time to evaluate the talent on the roster, the, the next move to make is who's going to be the head coach. And I would think uh, given the fact that they still have to pay the two years left on Jim Boylan's deal, I don't think they're going to go out and get one of the uh, elite, let's say, uh, coaches available on the market, guys with previous head coaching experience. I think it's more likely that they're going to hire someone who's a current assistant. And, and that would be someone who would be more in line with what the salary they're looking to pay out. So, they're going to pull, interview a lot of guys. Um, you know, obviously, both of these front office guys have past connections that they're going to want to, you know, take advantage of. We've heard the name Wes Unsell Jr., who was an assist, who is an assistant coach with the Denver Nuggets. That could be someone our tourists wants to talk about. Mark Eversley uh, knows Emmy Udoka, who's an assistant in Philadelphia, who spent seven years under Greg Popovich. So those are a couple of the assistant names that we've heard so far. But I, you know, given what we've seen. So far, from our tourists, I think he's going to be very deliberate, and he'll interview a lot of people, and hopefully he'll come up with the perfect guy to lead this team. Assume that the Bulls do not trade the number four pick, and, and they keep it, obviously. Me, personally, I would like for them to select James Weissman out of Memphis, but he'll probably be gone by then. But who are some of the other available players that the Bulls can select that number four? Well, the consensus right now is that the top three picks in some order will be Anthony Edwards, the guard, shooting guard from Georgia, James Wiseman, who you mentioned, the center who only played three games at Memphis before leaving school because of eligibility concerns. And then LaMelo Ball, uh, the famous Ball family, the 6'7 point guard who played uh, professionally in Australia this year. That leaves you with the best wing players on the board, you know, guys like Isaac Okoro, who's a defensive specialist from Auburn, who reminds me a lot of Jimmy Butler when he first came into the league out of Marquette. Uh, you have the young man from uh, Israel or playing in the Israeli league, Denny Abdija, who's a 6'9", small forward, who's a guy that can really handle the ball, who can run pick and roll. Maybe not the best shooter in the world, but he's a guy that a lot of scouts are high on. There's some point guards available. Tyrese Halliburton from Iowa State, uh, a young man from France is, as well, who's available. So, named Killian Hayes. So, there, there's a lot of guys that they could go for. I think what's going to happen, they're going to make a decision on whether they want to move down, whether they want to possibly move up in the draft order, and then they'll decide where they fall. I wouldn't be surprised if you see a trade leading up to draft night where maybe they move down four or five spots in the order, pick up a future draft pick, and maybe get the guy they want anyway at number eight or nine. That'll be very interesting. Let's keep up with the college hoops theme there, uh, Mark. Um, DePaul hired Dwayne Peavy, you know, was at Kentucky for many years, helped get Coach mm -hmm. Cal to go there. Um, 
what do you think what do you what do you think he brings to the table and can he kind of help sort of like mesh that DePaul men's hoops program? Well, obviously the Kentucky's been one of the most successful programs in the country over the last couple of decades. And you know, with his experience coming in, he knows all about trying to win at the highest level in Division One college basketball. You know, even though DePaul made the move to the Big East and, and they play very tough competition in that conference, I think it's been, you know, disappointing the fact that they haven't been able to finish higher. They've been near the bottom or at the bottom of the Big East just about every year. And when you consider being in a major market like Chicago and having the recruiting possibilities that exist, I think it's time for the program to take, uh, you know, a couple of steps up. And I think that's the focus right now is to make them, first of all, more competitive in the Big East, and then hopefully uh, to the point where they can compete nationally to get to the NCAA tournament on a regular basis and maybe make a deep run one of these years. It's a big job. It's something that's been talked about for a lot of years is how to make DePaul basketball more successful. But, you know, hopefully he's the right guy to bring them into a more competitive spot in the Big East. Heading down the home stretch with Mark Shanowski of WGN Radio. He's the pre and post game host for White Sox Baseball right here on Second City Sports Zoom style. Last question for me, Mark. Let's go back to basketball. Had the chance to watch uh, the last dance, which premiered in late April, early May on ESPN. It was a great documentary. Let's be honest here. It was Michael Jordan's last dance, which should have been called. But I know you were around, you were around the team at that time uh, covering it, especially during that last season. I heard you on another interview. Yeah. You mentioned that those NBA inter- entertainment cameras were around, were around all the time. It was hard for you yeah. local reporters to get things done. Talk to us about that. What was your best memories from that season outside of them being Utah for that sixth championship? It was quite a year. I mean, it started out with uh, Jerry Krause basically just declaring that Phil Jackson wouldn't be back as head coach. And you knew that if Phil wasn't going to be back, there was a very good chance that both Michael and Scotty weren't going to return. So the season started with kind of that, you know, storm cloud hanging over the whole team, knowing that this could be their last time together. And there was also an injury factor. You know, Scotty Pippen was out uh, after back surgery, and they just had a lot of uh, issues where, you know, you didn't know if they could make one more run at a title. But as the season wore on, they got stronger and stronger, and they went into the playoffs in a situation where the team was pretty united. And then they had faced that very tough series with Indiana, which the Pacers took them to a game seven at the United Center, actually led in the fourth quarter of game seven. And you're wondering, is this is where it's going to end? So it was – the whole season was a very unique set of circumstances where even though you were following the basketball on a daily basis – you know, the larger story was out there that this this great dynasty team could be broken up at the end of the year. Um, a lot of players were tired of all the media attention, both locally and nationally. So there wasn't as much uh, availability of players for interviews as we'd seen in past seasons. Uh, Michael Jordan wasn't available as much to the media as he had been in the past years. So everyone was kind of wondering, how is this going to end? Were they going to get the one more title? And what, were they going to be able to extended even further, but very quickly after they did win the championship, it became clear that there was no way Phil Jackson was going to return. And then, of course, as you remember, then the NBA went into a lockout, which kind of pushed things back even further. But ultimately, when they came back in January of 1999, it was a completely gutted team. You know, it was was so funny that, you know, the 
the PA announcer would always address now the starting lineup for your world champion, Chicago Bulls. Yeah. And the team was so bad in 99 that after five or six games, they stopped doing it because that wasn't the world championship. <laughs> that was just about the guys they rounded up off the street to, to comprise the roster. Mm -hmm. Last one for me, Mark, keeping up with that. Do you think they would or they could have won if they, everyone had kind of stayed together? Because you, you know this because you've been here forever. I'm a, I'm a big fan of your work. Um, do you think, had they stayed together, do you think they would have won another one? You know, I think that, that short season in 1999 would have played to their advantage because it was just a 50-game season, and that would have been able to keep a lot of the older players fresh, and I think that would have given them their best chance. You know, as it turned out, it was, it was San Antonio against the Knicks for the championship that year. And, you know, the Knicks were the Bull, one of the Bulls' top rivals during that time, and they had a good team, but they were also dealing with some aging players, you know, and Patrick Ewing and some of the others where I think the Bulls might have been able to beat them and, and might have been able to get back to the finals. Uh, yeah, I think given the lockout shortened season, they might have had a chance to win one more, but that's one of the great uh, unknowns of all, what ifs of all of sports. Would they have been able to get that seventh title? We'll never know, but Hearing Michael Jordan in the last dance, he certainly thought they could have. Okay. Now, I, pr I promise you, Mark, this is the last question from me. You also mm -hmm. do a podcast with the Chicago legendary sports reporter, uh, David Schuster, called the right. Sharp Shooter Podcast. Uh, tell us about that. How did that come about? Yeah, both David and I, uh, you know, are not working uh, full-time anymore, so we just decided it'd be something we'd love to do. We're both very passionate about basketball. And, you know, one of the, he's one of those guys that whenever I would see him at the United Center or he'd come into the station to do uh, Sports Talk Live, he'd stop at my desk and we'd sit there for 15, 20 minutes talking about the Bulls and the NBA. And since we both had some time free on our schedule, we decided, hey, why don't we go get together, put out this podcast for really, you know, diehard NBA fans and, and people who love the sport. And we just started it back in uh, late July. Um, we're still trying to build a following. It's, as you mentioned, it's called Sharpshooters. It's on the Barroom Network, and it's available in all the places you can find your, your favorite podcasts, Apple and Spotify. And we hope people will check it out because it's a, it's a deep dive in all things NBA. We have some great guests. We've had Stacey King and Kendall Gill and Casey Johnson on, and we'll continue to line up good guests uh, you know, throughout this remainder of this playoff run and on into next season. So I appreciate you asking about it, and we hope people will check it out. People All right. Great podcast. Thank yep. you. <laughs> All right. We'll, we will make sure to spread the word about, about that podcast and make sure you keep up the great work. That was Mark Shanowski, pre- and post-game host for the Chicago White Sox on WGN Radio AM 720 here in Chicago. Mark, uh, it was an honor and a pleasure uh, for you to join us today. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to join us. It really, truly has been a, a pleasure uh, uh, speaking with you. Keep up the great work. Let's hope the White Sox get into the playoffs. Let's do this again soon. All right. Thank you very much for having me, and best of luck with your podcast as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Stay safe. And stay safe. Thank you. All right, you two. Thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it. No problem. All right. We appreciate you. All right. Take care. You too. You too. All right. So long. Oh, that was Mark Shanowski of WGN Radio. He's the pre- and post-game host for the Chicago White Sox. And let's hope that the White Sox will get into the playoffs this year. If they do, we will bring him back to break down their opponent for the postseason. Maybe so much why we give like a crosstown series. It, it, look, it could happen the way this series is. Uh-oh. Yeah. I are, mean, you, are, you, are you putting it out there already, Lakina? 
hopefully. I'm not saying definitive. I'm, look, I'm, I'm covering myself here, Sid. You know that I don't like making these kind of predictions. But but look, I, I mean, it was, we, we talked about this with Layla earlier. I mean, mm-hmm. they'd be – the Cubs, you know, they're they're lucky that everyone else in their division has not been very have kind of had their struggles. So the fact that you know the Cubs are having their struggles, but yet so are the other teams in the division. So that that's what you know that's kind of helping them sort of keeping their lead. I mean, the like you know, like we've been saying for the White Sox, the AL Central's there for the taking. Mm-hmm. The Twins have struggled. The Indians have struggled. So yeah, so I, I think look, I think both our teams, excuse, I think both our teams have a good shot of getting into the playoffs and doing some damage. Wouldn't that be interesting, even though it's a short 60-game season, we have the expanded playoffs this year. Wouldn't it be great? I'm just stepping out of my White Sox fandom, if I can for a minute, uh, the, that the Cubs and Sox World Series would happen in this type of year, but with no fans. It would be it would be only fitting, right, Sid? And, you, and no one can be on the stands. I mean, I, like, maybe that's a good thing. Right. Who knows? <laughs> but... Folks will be throwing stuff at their televisions and go, whoever wins the World Series. They can go out on the streets. Some of y'all will have masks on. A lot of you guys won't blow on their horns and other kinds of other strange stuff. <laughs> like I said, <laughs> it'll always be fitting, right? Right. If it's other strange stuff. <laughs> right? I mean, but, I mean, I mean, look, I mean, we'll see. I mean, like you said, the trade deadline is on Monday, and we'll see if the White Sox make any more moves, if the Cubs can make – Albeit it'll be a minor move, but we'll see if they make that those kinds of moves and other what other teams, what the Rays are gonna do, what the Yankees are gonna do. The Dodgers, like they're they're pulling away from the the West and the NL West. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, in, in this climate and as strange this season is, will there be any big blockbuster trades? We'll just have to wait and see. I don't think so, be only because uh, given the, the money situation with Major League Baseball, because, of course, there are no fans in the stands this year, and you have less than a month to um, prove yourself. Uh, the regular season ends on September 27th. Having the bit other strange things could occur, but assuming that things are staying on the calm right now, the regular season will end on September 27th. It only gives you barely barely a month, because today, is, uh, as of this recording, is the 28th, so technically less than a month away. So they have 29 days, so uh, it'll, it, it'll be kind of hard to pull off a blockbuster trade, but I, I think you'll see a couple of minor moves here and there. Going back to the White Sox, I know there's been rumors that Lance Lane could be acquired from the Texas Rangers. He would help that White Sox rotation, but call me crazy. You might, I know Rodon should be back soon, but you, you may have to um, – uh, their pitch rotation might have to stay as is. Yeah, because he's – And I don't think it'll be a bad thing. If no, you get no, Lance no. Lance, so be it. But as of right now, I, I'll take this young starting rotation against anybody in the American League right now. This could only help them grow uh, not only just for this season but for next year and the years to come as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I mean, like, like I said, uh, it's going to be interesting to see if people decide – to make you know these big trading moves I mean I heard that the Braves are also it was another team that's very interested in getting mm-hmm. Lance Lynn so I, I mean again we'll see if, if that transpires I mean I think like you said the way everything's set up it might be it might be tough but again we'll see um anything else baseball wise because I, I, I kind of feel like you know it's sort of like the, we're, we're midway through the season everyone's sort of like trying to find their <laughs> 
their way. And then with everything that went on with the protests and the boycotts and stuff, I wonder what, what do you think about that? Because I know we had Layla on, she said that, and also Mark too, they said, look, it was a short, and I, and I agree with them too, that this was, you know, it was short notice. There was, I think, they mm-hmm. were, I think the Cubs and the Tiger King were going to start like at 20 minutes before all this started happening. So it was, it was going to be hard for them to make a decision. So I, I'm fine with it. I mean, look, he's, look, I think, I think um, Hayward had to reiterate, say, look, I told them to go ahead and play. Cause I'm sure he had people say, well, how, how dare they, how could they do? look? Mm-hmm. It was short notice. There was no way they could be able to pull it off. So I'm, I'm, and, and look, if you saw David Ross's comments, I mean, he was in tears, you know, with everything going on. Also, Anthony mm-hmm. Rizzo, I mean, he was saying a lot of expletives. So I, I think it, people should like just to sort of calm down on, no, we should do this. It's just, it's just silly, right? <laughs> what do you think? Steve? Yeah, uh, like, like you said, the, the players from the other sports were on short notice. As I mentioned, the White Sox had that game Wednesday. Of course, they had the day off on Thursday, so you can't blame the White Sox there. Now, as far as the other games were concerned, there were a lot of afternoon, early afternoon games on Thursday, so you can't blame those players because uh, it would have been hard for them to turn the switch on and off. So I, you can't blame them there. For those games that were scheduled late into the evening or early evening on Thursday, they decided we're not going to play. I have no problem with that. And the, the Mets player who, who kneeled uh, the other day, I had no problem with that either. We're going through a tough time in our country right now, and and we in our in our it's a constitutional right to express yourself uh, in, in any way, shape, or form, as long as it's not violent, of course. So you have a freedom, yeah, right to express yourself, freedom of speech, and I didn't have a problem with it. The NHL uh, stopped uh, their playoff action for Thursday, and I believe for Friday as well. They'll re- I think they'll resume on Saturday. As of this podcast is not official yet, but I'm assuming that they'll resume on Saturday, just like the NBA will resume their uh, playoff uh, games on Saturday. So I didn't have a problem with it. We're in a different time in our country right now. And you have people outside the sports world uh, talking about it. Uh, uh, this is what what uh, what the athletes want. You, you wanted people to pay attention to uh, what you're protesting about. Protest is to bring attention to the problem. It's not supposed to solve it right away. It doesn't work that way. Process is, is just to bring attention to the problem and you find realistic solutions from, from there forward. I could have said it better. I mean, and I get, you know, people are frustrated, people are angry, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, listen, this is a marathon, not a sprint. And I, mm-hmm. I feel like people think that, oh, well, you know, snap your fingers, the laws will change. It doesn't work that way. And Thank you. You look, what, you look at what the, the Ravens are doing, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure you read their statements. Uh, from last night said, I mean, they're going to have voting registration booths you know, and they're going to like send letters to Congress. I mean, they're, they're, they're not too far from DC. So they're going to be mm-hmm. doing some encouragement and such. And also I just saw um, a tweet where I think Miami's going to turn their arena into a voting registration thing for people there. So you're seeing the, you're seeing the, the, these teams sort of like, okay, you know what, what more can we do? Can we, yeah, yeah we can march, we can protest, but long term that's not going to help so you got to actually work on changing the laws getting people registered to vote getting mm-hmm. folks involved and you know every state county city whatever every law is different so if you mm-hmm. want to kind of you know enact change that's where it starts locally yeah as we said before on this podcast looking is about voting registering to vote and actually getting out to vote and then keeping up with your politicians whether you voted for them or not 
uh, the day after. Like Roland Martin, TV host and journalist, always says, the work is not done uh, on election day. You you start work the day after, keeping up with your politicians on voting on what's the what's the issues going on in Capitol Hill, and also all politics are local as well. We could focus in on Washington D.C., which we should, but all politics are local as well. Well, is where you live, so everything starts from the bottom to the top, and that's how it goes. Now back to these professional sports leagues. Uh, this is what we're talking about, Lakina, not just walking the walk, but talking to talk about walking the walk as well. I wish hopefully the, the teams in the Chicagoland area, I'm talking about the Blackhawks, the Bulls, the Bears, and the White Sox and Cubs, um, they can open up their practice facilities or their team facilities as voting registration booths as well. And that, that, that not only helps them, not just PR-wise, but it also provides service to, uh, to your fan base and the people in the city and the communities as well. You're, yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, now there's anything I could add to that because, like you said, I mean, change starts from within, and mm-hmm. and like we've been saying, if you want real change, of course, yes, keep you know, there's no such thing as a perfect candidate, but you need to sort of do mm-hmm. your research on those particular candidates to see if they have similar, you know, beliefs, mm-hmm. if they have the same sort of issues, you know, that you care about. Yeah, as Cliff, as I said it before on this show. And I said it on the Dean Davis show, now the Davis show as of now. Uh, Cliff Kelly, now retired a radio host and former alderman of Chicago, he said this before and I'll repeat it. We, the citizens of the United States of America, we're their bosses, not the other way around. I'll repeat it again. We're their bosses, not the other way around, whether you voted for that particular candidate or not. Couldn't have said it better, Sid. All right, so where, where do you want to? There's so many places we could we could go still. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I'll, I'll, let's go back to baseball for a minute. I'll just wrap up with this uh, for the Chicago White Sox. I know they're, they're playing the Kansas City Royals this weekend on the south side before they head out on the road to face the Minnesota Twins for a big three-game series next week. Uh, I'm going to put my Sox fan back hat, hat on, even though I don't have one around yet. Uh, I'll say this. I'm not saying they're looking past the Kansas City Royals. You can't afford to, especially in this shortened 60-game season. But I'm really worried about uh, the Minnesota Twins because, you know, they're, they, they, I'm not going to say they caught them yet, but they're right on their heels. Uh, this is a big series for me personally because Minnesota has been uh, the class of the AL Central for many years now. And you saw what they did last year, even though they failed in the playoffs. Uh, they're continuing the same formula this year. But even though I'm not impressed by their starting pitching, their starting pitching hasn't been great, but it doesn't have to be right now because they're getting all the home runs, as we mentioned before. I think the White Sox will take care of business against Kansas City this weekend, but I want to see them in a tough three-game series on the road against the team that you're trying to chase to uh, take the next step to make it to the playoffs if, uh, because their goal was coming to the season even before um, uh, the the pandemic hit. Their goal was, and they told the fans and they told the media, our goal is to take the next step to get to the playoffs. This is how you do it. To be the man, you got to beat the man, as Ric Flair once said. So Minnesota is there staring, staring in front of you. you got to face them head on. I want to see how they can, can compete against Minnesota, Minnesota and Cleveland. They, they took care of Cleveland in their last series. I want to see how they fare where, well against fare against Minnesota because during opening weekend of the season, 
Minnesota made made them look bad, beating them two out out of three here in Chicago. If the White Sox want to be taken seriously, you you have to beat the Twins head on. We said last weekend on the podcast that if the White Sox to be taken seriously as a winning team, they had to beat the Cubs. They did that. It should have been a sweep, but you take two out of three and you go on about your business beating up on the bad teams. This is another scenario this weekend. You take care of business at home against Kansas City, and then you show up on the road against your biggest competition within a division. So I'm looking forward to see what the White Sox do within this upcoming week. Should be interesting. Like I said, I mean, that's a big series. If Just just win the series. If you're not going to sweep, at least win the series if you're the White Sox because yes. you want to keep up with them. And you don't want to end up sort of like if you get swept by Minnesota, you're sort of like fighting for those wild card spots. <clears throat> so it'll be interesting to see where they go with that. Now, as for the Cubs, I mean, like I've been saying – the good thing for them is that the other teams in their division have struggled. They get the Reds. Mm-hmm. They get the Reds starting tonight as of this podcast of recording. So I'm I'm hoping that they can kind of like distance themselves from some of those teams in that division. Cause you 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 know, you've been lucky enough that you struggled with yet everyone else has in your division. So that has helped you sort of confidence-wise. So hopefully they can kind of like put some distance between these these teams because you don't want to give them any rope and any chance, you know, to still be able to kind of overtake yet because you don't want that. And this is sort of like their last dance, so. Yeah, as we mentioned before uh, earlier in this podcast, the, 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 the White Sox and the Tigers have given the, the Cubs problems over the past week. Hopefully, if you're the Cubs, you can put this behind you and go beat up on the Cincinnati Warriors. I know they were one of the picks by many experts who take that next step this, this year and perhaps maybe sneak into the playoffs. Like you said, like, you know, if they want to put the, put a distance between uh, Cincinnati and St. Louis, you, you have to win your games, obviously, within your division because of the schedule this year. For the Cubs, you just have to take care of Cincinnati this weekend. And despite the injuries that they have right now and bullpen issues, they are still good enough to be a, a good team. I know they have the second-best record, I believe, in the National League behind the Dodgers. So for the Cubs to stay them right in the face, you have to take care of business uh, against Cincinnati this weekend. All right, we'll see what both teams decide to do. Um, NFL, um, it, it's sort of now we got the the issue with the, the, the pumping in the crowd noise and such. I mean, we we've you don't say. Yeah, I mean, look, look, like I said before, Joe Buck. We've been saying this. I think we said this like twice since it happened that he mm-hmm. already kind of spilled the tea that you know the networks are going to do it, but apparently, I guess the stadiums and the arenas themselves are going to be doing it. So. The pump and the crowd noise, I mean, I, I know people make jokes with the Chargers and the Falcons and all that, but, you know, I, I think the fact that you're going to be doing that, so it'll be interesting. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And I uh, I heard many people complain about uh, will there be a home field advantage because we, as, as of this podcast, there'll be some cities that will allow a few amount of fans, and there'll be many cities, including here in Chicago, that won't allow fans. As of uh, as of now, uh, not just including Chicago, but Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and uh, you mentioned Los Angeles with the Chargers and the L.A. Rams with their new uh, arena this year. Of course, the Las Vegas Raiders they have a new arena this year, moving out there from Oakland. As of right now, they won't have any fans, so it's going to be interesting to see how the NFL handles this. But it it 
it varies from state to state. I know as of right now, Kansas City opens the season less than two weeks from two weeks from now against the Houston Texans. They're as of right now, they're supposed to allow only maybe fifteen thousand, sixteen thousand fans in there. We'll see if that holds up. So it's going to be interesting to see how the NFL navigates through this, and obviously all these different states. And will if things improve, will they allow fans? Uh, and later on in the season, in October, November, December, as the weather turns, uh, we shall see. But uh, it's going to be one heck of a ride. Yeah, because I think what the Bears have already said, that they're not going to be having fans in the stands. I think a couple other teams said the same thing. I think the Lions have said they're not going to have any fans either. And I think I, I think I saw somewhere that I, I think Washington, they're not going to have any fans. They feel like the first like two or three games not going to have any fans. So mm-hmm. as the weather turns, I mean, are we going to be seeing those fans or is it going to be sort of like status quo? And also sideline-wise, I mean, we already it's already been said that the sideline reporters will not be on the field. Now, that doesn't mean that they'll probably be like around like, you know, I guess the stadiums like in different parts. We'll see how they set up all that, but that's mm-hmm. also going to be very interesting. And we brought this up a few weeks ago, Lakina, as we had on our, our colleagues, uh, Dion Miller and Mark, Mark Ritt, who travels with the team, who does the Bears uh, sidelines for their network uh, uh, broadcast. Uh, how many people, as we all know now, the reporters won't be allowed on the field. Uh, out, outside of the players in the, uh, in the officials, uh, there's going to be a limited access. Uh, we worry about the uh, NFL Films camera people crew as well. We know there's a bunch of them. Will all of them be allowed on the field on, on both sidelines for the teams? Or will they be spread out? Or will there be only a couple cameramen? So this is all going to be interesting. And also, you know, sorry guys, but no cheerleaders either. So will there be, yeah. will they be like around sort of like the little barriers and they get to the sidelines? Will that, is that going to end up working? Will there not be any cheerleaders this year in some of these arenas? So, and then stadiums. So it's all going to look very different. Yes, we're going to have football, but like everything else is going to be very different. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see what else. Um, Let's talk about that that Big Ten report that came out about a little while ago with the they're mulling over a Thanksgiving start for their football. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to figure all this out here, Sid. I mean, I guess I don't know if they're trying to keep up with what the other conferences are going to do because I haven't heard anything about the Pac-12. I mean, they, unfortunately, they've had to let go a lot of the people at their Pac-12 network. Because you know there, you know there were no spring sports. Mm-hmm. Now we're not going to have fall sports for a while. And then you hear like Clemson's are going to have like twenty five percent of their fan capacity, and I, I see mm-hmm. some of these other you know conferences are going to try and play. And then you have Nebraska. Some of their players are filing a lawsuit. I mean, the whole thing is just I, I kind of just throw up my hands and just like what. <laughs> I haven't, yeah, I haven't read the report yet. As of the recording, as we're recording this podcast, I glanced up at the TV next to me, and I and I saw that breaking breaking news. And we talked about it with Layla Rahimi earlier to get our thoughts because it was the news was just breaking as we're recording this podcast. I wonder if the Big Ten has succumbed to the pressure from the parents and many of the players. I'm just wondering. Like I said, I haven't read the report, official report yet, the official story yet. So. I'm just going by what was flashed on my TV screen. I wonder if the pressure uh, was coming from 
both of those elements. I'm just thinking. We all know that money's on the table as well, so obviously. So I wonder the pressure from the parents and the players on social media had a big factor to do with this. Yeah, I, I mean, it's sort of like the priorities, right? The, these parents mm -hmm. are like, oh, well, you know, they have concussions, you know, they have regular Achilles and stuff. Oh, okay, well, you can spread germs. Those things are not contagious like, like COVID, and they're still, we're still trying to figure that out. So, mm -hmm. I feel like, it, it, it's insane, and hopefully we'll have somebody to talk, you know, within these next week or two to kind of talk about this, because there are probably going to be more rebels than we are, but they... The pink they did say that they could push it back to January, which is the original start date anyway. But like Layla said, it's going to be interesting because that's a, that's a short turnaround. So if you play in the spring, you got to go right back and play like in the fall. So that, that's sort of, that, that's another thing that's going to have to think about. But again, if they have to kind of like compensate since they're not going to have, you know, any revenue coming in. So I see ESPN has released their schedule and also Fox Sports released their schedules. I mean, like I said, more power mm -hmm. to them. They can pull this off, but I don't think they'll be able to because you see like Alabama had like about 300 cases of COVID. Um, mm -hmm. I think a couple other schools had a lot of cases as well. So I don't know what's going to take. I mean, if God forbid a player dies or if like a personnel person or a coach dies, I mean, I hope it doesn't come to that, but mm -hmm. we'll just have to see. Yeah, the issue is testing as well. Um, how many times that your players are going to get tested? Will it be every every day, every other day, every two days? Will it be tested on game day? As we reported on our last podcast of a false a positive test, how are you going to deal with that? Should that uh, issue come up with these players? Let's just say, for example, um, Trevor Lawrence, quarterback of Clemson, let's just say he was tested the day before or two days before. Uh, before wherever they play, and he was tested positive, but it came back to be a false positive. Well, if it was a false positive, he should have played. And I wonder, will will these conferences, how will they handle, are they prepared to handle each situ situation? We just don't know. I don't know if they are. That's just me personally. Well, and also, you're, you're talking about, like, testing these, these, these guys and gals, you know, because these are women's mm -hmm. sports involved as well. Um, you talk about testing them like two, three days a week. Like, do these schools can the, can the schools afford to do that? That's probably why you saw mm -hmm. a lot of the F FCS schools deciding not to, you know, to postpone their, their starts till the spring because they don't know if they'll be able to kind of accommodate that. And I mean, I, 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 I at this point, I, I think it. This is why this NCAA should get more like criticism for this because this could have been avoided. We can talk about all the political stuff and everything else, but yeah, this should have been like uniformity. And I've been saying this, and I've been repeating this for like a, about a hundred years, it seems. <laughs> well, well, okay, six, five or six months technically, but mm -hmm. it, it's just, you know, it's just crazy. But I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. All uh, right. Um, let's see. There was something else we I wanted to talk to you about before we. Right, because you know, we're we're doing this early, so this is sort of like my 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 clock's still still a little bit off, but uh, <laughs> I'm I'm hearing okay. We'll we'll talk we'll we'll talk bears for a second. Um, you're seeing we 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 talked to um, Layla about this 
you see like all these sort of Zoom practices. We, we saw like, you know, you mentioned, you know, our, our, you know, our good friends, uh, Dion Miller and Mark Grody, they were there for the practices. Our, our, our other good friend, yeah. Caitlin Sharkey over at Fox Sports yes. Chicago. She was there as well. And also Dan Weeder, Jeff Dickerson, among many others. They sort of like kind of had their opinions on like, it's Foles, no, it's Trubisky. No, it's Foles, <laughs> it's Trubisky. Like, okay, it's great, less filling, I don't know. But uh, I mean, you're, you're going by, I guess, we're not, you, know, you can't go by game film because we don't have any. We're not going to have any preseason games to judge this on. So it'll be interesting if, okay, if it isn't me and Trubisky, what do you think is going to happen there? If if he stinks, then you know you got to bring in Foles. It, 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 it's just the whole thing is like I don't really don't know what to think here. The the question is how short is the rope for Trubisky? Correct. Let's just say he has a terrible first half against the Lions on opening day, but he comes back in the second half, looks okay, but the defense has to win the game for the Bears. Okay, Trubisky, Trubisky didn't have a great overall performance, but the defense bailed him out to win the game. Now, fast forward to that whole opening. I don't know who it is for that following week because I don't have the schedule in front of me, but let's just say he has another bad game again, but the Bears barely win. Do you still stick with Trubisky, or you, do you go with Nick Foles? That's the question that the Bears will have to answer now since we didn't have any preseason games this year. It's, so much, it's only so much you can do in practice. Yeah. And you're not facing the, the top defenses in practice either. I mean, you are facing one in your own team, but mm-hmm. outside of that, I mean, you're not, you're not facing Baltimore. You're not facing the Rams. Mm-hmm. You're not facing the Chiefs. You know, that's a pretty decent defense. And also they're running back. I mean, David Montgomery, we talked about earlier with Layla, David Montgomery was going to be out for two to four weeks. And honestly, mm-hmm. that's probably the best route because I guess it's better than the Achilles or an ACL because it was a non-contact injury. But those groin injuries can still linger. And I'm wondering, you had like a, I think they had like a lot of guys, veteran running backs work out for them. But the whole thing is, It'll be interesting to see what they do. What they do if if running back? Because I know she she said Layla said that she was concerned about the running back, and, and you got think I am too because you got you know Tariq Cohen, but he's more of a pass catcher <laughs> running back. So yep. I I don't know what what they do running back wise. Do you remember back in January January when we were back in our studio and we had Lester Wilf on, on friend of the program from Windy City Grand Iron, and I asked him that question, and this is I was here before the draft. Mm-hmm. And he said just about the same thing, Tariq Cohen and Cordell Patterson, who, who, who filled in that role a little bit last year and during his last year with New England a couple of years ago uh, because New England had various interests to their star running backs, and he did an adequate job. Uh, Chiefs have come home to roost now, and the, the Bears didn't see that as a priority, top priority. They're looking at it now because, as you mentioned, David Montgomery, thankfully, will be out two to four weeks ago. So when I saw – the film via Twitter, I thought that he was going to be out for the year. I was like, if he's out for the year, the Bears are really going to be set back in terms of their offense because, as you said, Layla Rahimi said, uh, our first guest, uh, you are very predictable now because teams know what you're doing. If you're going to pass a majority of the time of every time, you're going to get beat. As the old saying goes, once that tape gets out on you, other teams can figure out and they know how to stop you. And also – yeah, I mean, and I think that that was – I think, like, the Bears had, like, the worst, like, yards per carry last year, if I'm not mistaken. Or, or at the very least, mm-hmm. like they, were, they were in the middle of the pack at the very least. So, 
you can't really depend on Allen Robinson and, 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 you know, your receivers all the time. You're not going to be able to do that. And sometimes I think maybe Tariq Cohen should probably be go back to being a running back. Cause I think, you know, the pass catching, he, he, he missed a lot of catches last year too. A lot of pivotal ones. So yeah, I mean, you're, you're going to need a good running back to kind of like take the pressure off Trubisky and if it ends up being fools as well because he mm-hmm. had his issues when he was in Jacksonville. But yeah. it like I, I don't know. It, it's gonna be very interesting. Um who else who has impressed you? I, I think I guess we gotta go by I guess like impressions that we hear from like various people who are covering these camps. <laughs> I mean we, we have no we don't have we don't have any preseason games to sort of judge on and like and like we've been saying, I mean the first game of the season starts in like less than two weeks, oddly enough. So mm-hmm. what 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 do you think so far? As I said before, all along, Mitchell Trubisky, barring injury, of course, he will be your starter September 13th at 12 noon at Detroit against the Lions. The question is, how long or how short is the rope for Trubisky? If he has a bad first half and comes back uh, average in the second half, if the Bears win, will he be your starter? Or does he stink it up on opening day and then they'll pull the hook? Or will they give him two games, three games, or whatever before they decide to go with Nick Foles. Because as we mentioned before, um, Coach Van Nagy's job is on the line and Jim Ryan Pace's job is on the line. So how many games will it be a half, couple of halves, a game and a half? We just don't know. It's all going to be interesting. But I still expect barring injury, Trubisky will be your starter two weeks from now. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I'm I think, like, like I said, I mean, with all these all these stories, you know, you got coming up, you know, how is how is Brady going to be against, you know, with a new team? We're going to have him in a new team for the first time in almost 20 years. It's going to be interesting to see how he starts off with that, how with the Bucks, mm-hmm. And then you've got – and then we'll see how Baltimore, can they rebound after being, you know, sort of – after Derrick Henry so ran all over him in their playoff mm-hmm. game. Um, you know, can the Chiefs? You know, they've, got, they've got everybody back. Can the Chiefs keep up? Um, how how's that gonna play? You know, this is basically essentially a, a contract year for him. So, so many stories. We'll see mm-hmm. how the uh, a in the NFC West. We'll see how that because I think that that division is there for the taking. So, this is good. Look, this is gonna be fun. And look, whether they finish, I mean, that's another thing we gotta worry about. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, I can't really wait till next week so we can uh, dig down deep into the previews of these divisions because it's going to be interesting this year. Absolutely. Um, do you think Zach Ertz gets his contract? I mean, he saw his fellow t- other top two tight ends, George Kittle and Tra- Travis Kelsey. They got their con- big contract. Do you think he gets his? Oh, okay. Uh, you know, Zach Ertz, there were some reports that came out about that they're talking about. You would hope because he's Carson Wentz is a go-to, uh, go-to receiver, right? Because let's be honest here, the Philadelphia Eagles have been having problems with their wide receivers over the last few years. And doing... Hope because he's Carson Wentz is a, be honest here, the Philadelphia Eagles have to do uh, due to lack of production and injury. So Zach Carson Wentz over the past three or four years. So, uh, I'm up for him getting his money. Uh, he's been a consistent one there for for even when Nick Foles was there when they won the Super Bowl three years ago. So 
Um, Zach Ernst deserves all the money he can get them. Take advantage of it. Hopefully this doesn't linger in, in, into the season because they have a tough schedule. They got to compete with the likes of the Dallas Cowboys for that uh, before they even the title in the East. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I, I hope he does. I mean, he deserves it because, like you said, said so he's been you know Wentz's top target. So I hope he does get get his money because I think he deserves it. He was a one of the big reasons why they did win their Super Bowl a couple years ago. So I'm, I'm hoping Earth gets his money because he's earned it. Um, let's talk a little bit about the, about the NBA once they do reconvene, because like they are going to reconvene um, tomorrow. Um, the Bucks and Orlando, you think they finished their series? I'm assuming, I guess we haven't got the official like final schedule yet because everything had to be adjusted, but depending on, like, I guess when everybody comes back, do you think do you think the Bucs can finish up the Magic? I think they will because they're up three games to one. And, of course, Aaron Gordon, who has a hamstring injury for the Orlando Magic, he has left a bubble and he will not return. So I expect the Bucks to take care of business there. Uh, on the other side, I think the Lakers, uh, they were up 3-1 in their series against the Portland Trail Blazers. Of course, Damian Lillard, was, he is out because of a right knee injury. I'm assuming he's not coming back. So if that's the case, I think the Lakers will go ahead and finish out the Trailblazers in game five. Yeah, I'm with you. I think, like I said, LeBron's on a mission. I think he's even going to be even more on a mission now. So I think Portland, yeah, I think Portland, you know, we'll see if Carmelo can kind of like, he's getting older now. So I don't know if he'll be able to do it by himself. CJ McCollum needs to help, help him. Joseph Nurkic needs to help him as well. And I, I, yeah, I think, but I think the Lakers will end up finishing out this series, I believe. Now, let's talk about Houston and OKC. They're tied 2 2. What do you see that series? I think if memory serves correct, I think I, think I picked OKC in an upset. So the, they got back in the series by winning their last two games, even though they were quote unquote technically the home team. Uh, if Russell Westbrook comes back for Houston, I think they have this series, but. Uh, OKC. If they win this next game, I have them taking this series. But uh, Houston, uh, they should have enough to win this series, but I just don't trust them. I just don't. Mm, yeah, I mean, well, the good news is that the West Westbrook should be able will be able to come back and play. So I think that should help them a little bit. Um, but yeah, like I said, it'll be if this goes seven. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. But, you know, it's going to be very interesting in that series because I think that series is going to go down to the wire. Um, the first round of the Eastern Conference Finals between Boston and Toronto. Let's preview a little bit of that. Uh, these are the two teams that picked to challenge Milwaukee for the Eastern – to represent the Eastern Conference in the NBA Finals. Uh, too bad these teams had to face each other in the second round, but, hey, yeah. this is what it is. Uh, for Toronto, let's see if Pascal Siaka can uh, step it up a little bit more. Uh, Fred Fred Bleed, the Rockford's very own, and Kyle Lowry, that's a good backcourt. I want to see how they match up against Kimball Walker and, and Jason Tatum. That's going to be a, a matchup there. So it, it's going to be a better series that I think people will give it credit for. But uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to this uh, and, and Jason Tatum. That's go, but I think well this series could will come down to is rebounding. Who, which team can rebound the ball the, the best? Whoever can do that on a consistent basis will win this series. 
I'm going to uh, Boston. I don't think uh, they can hang on to a well-balanced team like Toronto. They'll give them a run, but I think Toronto has a little bit of a better roster. So I'm going for the Raptors in six. That that ankle of Kyle Lowry kind of concerns me just a little bit, just a tad, but I, I think they, they, you know, they got a deep team. Toronto mm-hmm. does. They're well coached. So I'm, I'm going to take Toronto in six, you know, having, not having Gordon Hayward. I think that's going to be a big issue for the Celtics. I know, I know Tatum and Jalen Brown have been really good. Good point. Them. Have they been really good for them, but I just don't, not having Hayward, they're kind of like the extra insurance, you know, that can hit the guy that can hit the three, not having that. I think that'll, That'll kind of like doom them, I believe. All right, Utah and Denver. We've seen like this sort of this duel between Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell. I mean, they, you know, the Nuggets the were able to win the last game. Do you think they can push this to seven? I think Denver can push it to seven because, as you mentioned, Jamal Murray has been stepping up these last couple of games. Nikolai Jokic has been playing well these last couple of games as well. So, I'm personally room for Denver to push it to seven games. I didn't have them winning this series originally, but it won't surprise me if Utah uh, won this series. They've been the better team, especially rebounding the basketball. On our last podcast, I, I brought it up. Denver had, uh, uh, has been having the initial re- rebounding the basketball. Utah has controlled the paint while Denver hasn't. So it's going to come, still come down to that again. I'm expecting Denver to force it to a seventh game, and then it's going to be a free-for-all thereafter. I hope it does because I think this is one. This is a series I think deserves to go seven. Yeah, it's been very entertaining to watch. Absolutely, and I don't and I don't doubt that. Um, Dallas and the Clippers. I mean, the Clippers were able to. We'll see where their psyche is because they were all set to leave, but now they're able to, you know, get back on track. Welcome to the playoffs, there, Paul George. But then. It, <laughs> but but then you know, in the series, he did admit that he has been suffering from depression. I, I don't mm-hmm. think he would make anything like that up, but, you know. Do oh, no. Yeah, but do with it as you will. But I, I think I think the Clippers sort of like on a – I think they're on kind of like on a mission. I think they, they'll do just enough to kind of hold off because Dallas is still not at full strength. You can kind of tell that that ankle and that foot injury of Lucas is still bothering him. Yeah, I think the question the question is uh, how well is the ankle for Luka Doncic? Yeah, he has he had a, has had an extra a day or two to get it right. It's not it's not going to be a one hundred percent healthy. Will it be healthy enough to play? I expect him to to play now. Kristaps Porzingis will he be available to play? I'm not sure, but as I said before, I had the Clippers in six. Uh, this should uh, this year should end them. But if Luka Doncic has another outstanding performance carrying the Mavericks, this will go to seven games, and there will be a, a problem if you're a Clippers fan. Yeah, yeah, for for sure. I think if you're if you're the Clippers, you want to try to end this series now and instead mm-hmm. of letting it get pushed to Game Seven, where everything is sort of you know up in the air. You don't want you don't want to push your luck, especially with Luka. He may have a good Game Seven in him. So, if I were the Clippers, I think they would try to end this series now. Um. Anything else? Uh, I'm good. I'm good for this week. We had a great show. Uh, thanks to Layla Rahimi and Mark Shinowski from WGN Radio 720 here in Chicago. He does the pre and post game for the radio side for the Chicago White Sox. Did you have fun today? 
I know oh. I did. Oh yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. You know, Lilo was entertaining. Mark was great. Mm -hmm. As I, you know, we all figured they would be. So, yes. I mean, this is gonna be a you know a great show. We we're gonna have even more great shows coming up. Hopefully, we'll have mm -hmm. even more guests. Talk about the news of the day. You know, both on and off. Mm -hmm. You know, the field or ice or court or however you know what have you. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, look, it's been a trying week again. But I think we're mm -hmm starting to see people be resilient and starting to see folks sort of wanting to make sure that we get long, long form change. Yes. That's what it's all about. As you mentioned before, things take time. Nothing happens overnight and we all have to do our part. I, I think Doris Burke, uh, ESPN uh, NBA analyst said it best. We all expect our athletes to do certain things to help, help um, progress things forward because they have the clown, they have the the um, personalities, to, they have the, the attention span of, for us fans to capture to do it. But is the responsibility is on us as U.S. citizens uh, to help along with the process. As, as I mentioned before, uh, we're, we're the bosses of these politicians, it's not the other way around. So we have to do our part as well. Celebrities and entertainers, we expect them to do all the work. That's not how this works. We all had to pitch in together because celebrities and entertainers that we all look up to, they're regular citizens once they get off the field and get from behind the camera. So there are people just like us when they, when they step away from the workplace. So we all have to do our part, not just a few people. Exactly. It's a, it's a collaborative effort for change. And I think that's the thing that needs to be said over and over again. And I I, I know I hear people like praise Colin Kaepernick for what he did, but at the same time, though, he didn't vote. And that's the part that will never sit right with me. And you can, y'all can do with it as you will. <laughs> on, gonna, that <laughs> on that note. On that note. But, but, but you know what, though, but I won't, I won't leave people laughing. Uh, so you got the BMW championship going on this week. This is the second championship for the FedEx Cup. Also, congrats to Phil Mickelson. He won his first title on the Champions Tour. I got. I have a feeling this is going to be first of many for Mr. Mickelson. I think he's got the game to do it, and it. Yeah, I'm sure he'll probably win them. Maybe they're going to have. They're going to have like I think like a couple of majors. They're going to have like the U.S. Senior Open. I think later on next month, about this time. So I'm sure he'll. I'm sure he'll be ready. And oh my God, he's at the, at the at the Champions Tour. Jesus Christ! Like you're, you're feeling old now. If he's on the Champions Tour, you're, you're feeling old at this point. So, <laughs> oh my God! So, but and I also want to commend uh, Naomi Osaka, who's one of the top women's tennis players, for what she said. I mean, look, she said, "Look, I am a tennis player, but I'm also a black woman. She is black and Japanese." You know, if you haven't mm -hmm. had a chance, read her her uh, or, uh, Instagram post. If you guys haven't had a chance to read it, it's very poignant. And there were also a lot of other similar posts. So if you got a chance, you know, you'll, you'll feel inspired. Read it. All right. On that note, you can follow me at Keenan McGee on Twitter, at Keenan underscore McGee on the Instagram. You can follow your truly sick kid 80 on Twitter and Instagram at sick. Kid 80, once again, it's at Kid 80, S I D K I D 80. That's S I D K I D 80. You can read all of my articles at realregalradio.com. That's W E A R E R E G A L radio.com. And you can listen to this program along with all of our other uh, podcast programs from We Are Regal Radio. 
of wherever you download your podcast. That's Anchor. We kick you over to Spotify, SoundCloud, every podcast platform. You can download more on Anchor. Also, we on iHeartRadio. Download the iHeartRadio app. Just type in War on Anchor in the search engine box. Type in W-A-R-R, the word on, and then the word anchor in the search engine box. Bada, we come up so you can enjoy all of our uh, all of our content there, including this program and this show, Second City Sports. And also we're on YouTube, so make sure you go to YouTube, go on W-A-R-R space on Anchor. We'll just give you look at not only our our faces for our show, but also the other shows that are on We Are Your Radio on Anchor. So you'll subscribe mm-hmm. and tell your friends. All right. So for Sid, I'm Lakina. Hey, oh, so like like the page. Get them up. Get them up. Get them up. Yep. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Subscribe no, and like. I was just say like the page and get the likes up. Subscribe too. So and tell your friends. <laughs> So for Sid, I'm Lakia. This is Second City Sports Zoom mm-hmm. style, and we'll see you on Monday with our buddy Jason. See you next time. Holla! <laughs>